0: Hey, Beach Boys fans, it's me, Joe, back again. I finally got to see Love and Mercy, so that's what this is going to be about. Um, I saw it this morning because it was a a press showing. It was in the morning. Uh, Thank you to Henlik. Hello, if you're listening. Thanks so much for the ticket. I really appreciate it. Um, And because it was a press showing, it was at 9 o'clock in the morning, which was a little bit of a problem for me afterwards because I needed a drink. I mean, it was just... I was just a bit emotionally spent, in a good way, uh, but it did get to me, um, which I guess I expected it to do, but it was kind of an emotional roller rollercoaster. Um, and two of the things, I mean, some of the things that I think about the most is just the details and the symbolism and how ambitious this movie was in, in telling these, uh, the story of Brian's life and, and getting into the emotions of it. And two things that really stand out for me um, is there's one shot when Brian and Carl is uh, sitting in sort of lounge chairs on a patio, and Dennis on, is on the railing, which I mean already is a pretty uh, symbolic picture. Dennis sitting on the railing, and there's like a, um, they're up high, so he would fall down and. Uh, if he fell down, he would fall hard, and it's that kind of, it's beautiful image, and yet we see him there, and it's kind of like a warning, and then later in the movie when there's a quick flashback, when just Brian has different flashbacks about his life, and then it's back to that shot, although Dennis is not there. And it's, it's just, I mean, that's just a simple way of using symbolism, but it runs so deep, and especially for those of us who know the story so well, and we can pick up on those little details, even if, when it's just a quick little thing, and it could be a very meaningful and really add to the story and the depth of the story. And there was another one as well that someone else pointed this out as well. I read in a review a while back, I think, but I I also noticed that when they're in the pool, there's a scene when they're in the pool and Brian is sort of losing it a little bit, but um, he's talking about come over to the deep end. And then they've made it, again, very simple but very clear symbolism. They've placed the other beach boys Um, In a way, who is farthest away from the deep end, who is closest to it, so Dennis is by far the closest to Brian, closest to the deep end, whereas... Carl and Mike are sort of in the middle, and Al is way off in the back. (laughs) So, again, I mean, very simple symbolism, but certainly uh, to take the time to put that in there really does add, again, to the depth of the movie. And again, of course, for those of us who knows the story, knows the um, characters, or know the people, it means a lot, I think, those kinds of little things. Uh, What I enjoyed the most were... Uh, the sessions for Pet Sounds uh, and Good Vibrations. Just the fact that I heard Paul Dano talk about an interview and it was done pretty much in the way you'd expect that he listened like crazy to the sessions, and like we all have, but he picked up on things and then when they filmed it, he just got to do a lot of stuff with musicians in the studio and he would Uh, It's just so funny for someone who has listened to those sessions, you know, way back when they came out, you know, uh, it's kind of um, part of one's DNA at this point. So when you suddenly hear Paul Daniel on the screen really sort of verbatim uh, repeats some of the stuff that Brian says in the sessions and really kind of using the voice, he's doing the voice pretty well. Um, I know he's not trying to do an impersonation, but he, the way he's using it and getting the character of Brian's voice, and the not just when he's singing, but like the when he's speaking and directing the musicians and everything, it's pretty brilliant. And I don't know, it's just so funny to see an interpretation of that that is so true to the original. And again, little details like uh, I think someone like carries a drum by him and he just sort of taps a little bit on it, and it's um, I think it was the beginning. Um, part of, of waiting for the day and just a, little, like, just a few seconds of stuff that is just, again, meaningful to those of us who really knows it and it just really adds to the texture of the, the storytelling and of this creative process. I thought it was great I could have seen more of that um, so hopefully there will be some more stuff on a future DVD extra or something. Yes, I am that big of a geek. I will watch it if it's there so do please uh, put that on there if anyone is listening so um, yeah, about the whole Paul Dano versus John Cusack thing, I really think they could have done the whole thing with Paul Dano just as Brian. Uh, even though I liked what John Cusack was doing, there were just a bit too many Brian's in this film, I think, because we have, so younger and older, but really Paul Dano is, I think in real life, about 30 or something, so really he could have had, I mean, the span of those two ages, I think he could have done, um, and... I don't know if it really adds to have two different people. I don't think it does. I think that kind of sensitivity that Paul Dano portrays so well, which is just heart-wrenching to watch, uh, I think that could have carried over into the the 80s, Brian, um, and and would probably have, um, I don't know, who knows? But I think that would have worked as well. And the thing about there being too many Brian's, I think, is that we have so uh, older and younger. But then we also have child Brian a little bit in a few sort of scenes or hallucinations or memories, and um, which is a bit jarring because that hasn't really been established what that is. Although I did like it having little Brian in the in the '70s bed. That was a pretty strong image. But then we have real Brian towards the end as well, or, or the very end. Um, when we get to see him sing Love and Mercy from, I guess it's from like the 98 DVD or something, uh, that I remember it from some of those concerts that he did in, no, no, no sorry, not 98, 2000 or something. Um, well, actually, maybe I don't know, but I think I, I remember seeing the footage and it's not reason. So, uh, and it's beautiful. I think they really made a good choice which Love and Mercy, uh, acoustic live recording, uh, they, uh, would, I mean, there are a lot to choose from, and I think that was a really good choice. Because um, when I watched it in the theater, no one moved um, during that, even though the credits had come up and everyone kept watching, so I thought that was really a good sign. Um, I think there was a little bit too much of the love story and not enough of young Brian's creative process and breakdown. I mean, there was a lot of that, but I guess I just find that more interesting. And I guess it's one of those things where they have to do a love story or make it more important or uh, significant. Um, yeah, I don't know. A little bit of a problem. Like towards the end, it almost seems like Melinda was sort of the star of the whole movie, which kind of makes it. That's a bit strange when you think about it. Um, although I was skeptical towards, you know, that that it would that they could have a love story that worked, but it did. And actually, you know, as I left the theater, I heard some people talking who had seen it who obviously didn't know anything about Brian well maybe not maybe they knew something but they weren't <laughs> Brian fanatics uh, clearly and they you know, there was two women talking and they said something like well uh, wasn't it lovely you know that they got married and then in the credits it sort of says they got married in uh, 95 or whatever and they live in LA with five kids and these women i heard talking they just sort of said something like, oh, it's so wonderful, I can't believe they have five kids, and it's just, I just thought that was kind of sweet, because maybe they're not so into Brian's music, but they were able to see it as a love story as a whole, it's, you know, John Cusack and um, Elizabeth Banks, and that was good enough for them, so I I think that's kind of nice as well, that it can work on that many levels for people who are fans and who are not uh, fans. Few more things, just I love the fact that, again, details that <clears throat> only fanatics will know about, like when we see the session tapes from Smile, and sort of shelf after shelf of tapes and tapes, and we see all those little titles, and I just think it's, it's a beautiful shot, but also meaningful when you know what it is, and I was very surprised that they had remade that Sloop John B. sort of black-and-white video <laughs> that we all know and love. Um, at least I do, I just think it's so quirky and fun, and that they have remade that to the point where, like, exactly... You know, when they come in and they shake Brian's hand when they work towards the pool and we see them do all their, their little bits and everyone, all of the actors playing the Beach Boys was doing that very thoroughly, had watched the, their little moments and were doing those. And again, it's kind of a surprising thing to include, but I thought it was really interesting. I think they got Dennis a bit wrong just because um, the guy who plays him doesn't really have... Um, a lot of charisma, and I think in a way, I mean, it's wrong is that it's not true to life, but on the other hand, if they had found someone who was more Dennis-like, both in his, how he looked, and his presence, and his voice, he would have been too strong a character, I think, because there are so many other characters, you know, the love story, and Landy, and there's all this stuff, and I think it was kind of a a wise choice to keep Dennis a smaller, not a significant character in, in Brian's life, but... Again, not really true to life, so I was a little bit annoyed like by that, just, it wasn't Dennis, but, yeah, you know, you can't get everything right. And, um... Yeah, I know some people have complained about Mike, like, like the movie's too easy on him or something, but really, I mean, there are so many bad guys. They have the authority figures, obviously. They frame it pretty well, have both Murray, Brian's father, and Landy. Uh, in some ways had the same role in Brian's life. And there's that great scene where someone says, oh, Brian, what do you can do with all this freedom now that Good Vibrations is such a big success? And Brian just looks kind of terrified. And he just says, oh, has dad called? And it's just such a good moment of really bringing home that point of how these two men and some others might have, might have had that kind of role in his life. Um, but back to Mike, I think it was interesting. I mean, even though I've made fun of him a lot of times because there was so much to make fun of. But I mean, his hats, his beard, come on. But even so, um, I think it was kind of a good choice, again, not to make him into some sort of bad guy. In this movie, just um, just have it very easy that we see him, he's afraid, he wants to be successful, he's afraid that Brian is throwing that away, and he's, you know, Salieri to his Mozart, and that's not an easy thing to be. And I think that was just kind of nice, again, that they kept his role pretty small and, and more neutral than maybe uh, some people would have liked, but I thought it worked well. So anyway, love and mercy. Um, I can't believe it's even in the theaters here because it's such a kind of small movie. I mean, it's not small, but it's just in terms of who it will appeal to. Brian Wilson's not really a household name here where I am, which is uh, Stockholm, Sweden. Um, but uh, but the Beach Boys are. So who knows? And I actually think "Love and Mercy" is a really good movie title, whether you know it uh, what it means or not. Uh, Thanks for listening. As always, you can get in touch. Facebook.com slash Beach Voice Podcast. Let me know what you think about the movie. Bye for now.